Well, how many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Word of God this morning? Hold it up high for just a minute. Real high. All right. Let's take our Bibles down and open them to page number 1097. If you have an old Schofield Bible, 1097. Uh, in the Old Schofield Bible, or the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, third book in the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, and then the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 15 this morning, and if you'll open your Bible there and leave it for just a moment, I want to go back in a moment and to read a couple of verses around from this story, and I want to give you maybe a little bit of a different spin on this story this morning from the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Don't forget choir this afternoon at 5 o'clock, and then our service this afternoon at 5.30. And we are looking forward to having a good time together in God's house tonight. All right, Luke chapter 15, if you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. Without doubt, the Lord Jesus was the greatest communicator of all times. You know, when Jesus spoke, he did so with power and with authority. When he spoke, he left people spellbound. They were amazed. They were astounded. In our terminology, we would say they were blown away by the things that he said. You know, Jesus had a way about him that when he spoke, people understood. In fact, we're told this about the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, verse 37. We're told that when he spoke, the common people. By the way, how many common people are in here? Average ordinary, run-of-the-mill people, just like us. The Bible said that when he spoke, those kind of people, like us, heard him gladly. He had a way of connecting with people on a level where they could understand. Well, as an illustration of that great truth, we have a story that is before us this morning that most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with. It's been called by many the greatest story, uh, short story of all time. And, of course, I'm talking about what we commonly refer to as the story of the prodigal son. However, sadly but truly, as great as this story is, it is not without its detractors. In other words, what I'm trying to say, there are people who actually criticize this great story that we have before us this morning. And they do that on the basis of two things. Number one, they talk about this story, the story of the prodigal son, and they say, first of all, there is no element of search in this parable. In other words, they say, here's this man, he's got a boy, this boy wants to rebel, head off into the far country, and the father just lets him go. There's no fussing, there's no trying to talk him out of it, there's no running after him down the road, there's no uh, search made in the far country for him. So they say, man, this story's a little bit messed up because there's no element of search in this story. Then they say, number two, there's no element of sacrifice in this story. You know, we know that to be right with the Father, there's got to be a sacrifice. That's the reason Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But they look at this story and say, oh no, 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 that's not a great story because there's no element of search and there's no element of sacrifice. But I tend to disagree with all that because I think as far as the search goes, there was not a day that the Father didn't look down the road to see if that boy was coming home. In fact, I 
I probably, I think I would miss it far to say that every night, maybe the last thing he did before he cut the lights out, as the sun sank in the western sky, he looked on the horizon to see if that boy was coming home. In fact, the Bible said when he saw him a great way off, he ran toward him. Kind of indicates to me he was looking for him. And can I just stop and say this morning, you're not in this service by accident. No, sir, you're here because there's a God in heaven that's looking for you this morning. There is a heavenly search going on for you this morning. And my prayer is, my prayer is that search will not be futile this morning. There's an element of search. There's an element of sacrifice in this story. I mean, you can't miss it that this fatted calf was killed in order that there might be a celebration when the boy came back home. Brother, I want to tell you something. The only way you can approach God is on the basis of a sacrifice. And by the way, I'm not talking about bullocks and lambs and fatted calves, but I'm talking about the sacrifice of God's Son on the cross of Calvary. There is an element of sacrifice in this story as well. In fact, if you look at verse 23, I like this. The Bible said, and bring hither the fatted calf. I think the day that that boy left home to go into the far country, I think the father looked over at one of his servants and said, okay, go out there in the herd, get a fatted calf, pin him up, because one day my boy is going to come home. And when that boy comes home, there's going to be a sacrifice made and a party given. We're going to have a time when that boy comes back home. So when he finally came back home, the dad looked at the servant and said, all right, go get the fatted calf. Not a, but the fatted calf. This is a great story. You know, among the many things that this story teaches us, probably one of the main takeaways from this story is this one right here. How God really feels about those who go away from him. How does God feel when people turn their back on him? How does God feel when people walk away from him? Well, I think we find that in this great story. You know, sad but truly, one of the things that's happened to so many during this pandemic is that many have turned and walked away from the Lord. I mean, many have turned and just gotten away from God. Now, some of those people, by the way, you remember those first months of the massive shutdown and we had to go on live stream to have service and I, I couldn't help but notice in the early days of all that, you'd ask my wife, we'd go up the road and I'd just hand her the phone. I'd say, okay, tell this one this and that one that because I was getting 25, 30 text messages on the way home. People say, hey, I watched the service this morning, enjoyed the sale, whatever. And man, people, but you know, as time went along, the text messages got fewer and fewer. Now, maybe because the messages were getting worse and worse, but I think probably what was going on is more and more people we're getting away from church on the computer. And many of those people have turned and now they've walked away from God. They're like the prodigal. They've gotten away from the father's house. But then there are others, there are others like the elder brother. Now we know the elder brother never left the father's house. He was there. He stayed at home the whole time. But I think in the final analysis of this story, the one thing that we find about that elder brother was this. His heart was just as cold on God as that one who went into the far country. Now look this way. You don't have to be out to be out. 
You understand that, don't you? I mean, you don't have to be out there smoking weed and drinking Bud Dummers and Miller Low Lives and living with somebody you're not married to to be out of the will of God. Listen, you can sit in church three times a week, hear the messages, and your heart, your heart can be as cold as a hound's nose. Your heart can be as cold as the other side of your pillar. You can get away from God. And I'm afraid that during this time of the pandemic, many who used to be faithful, many who used to wouldn't miss a service are now sitting at home on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. You know why? I'll tell you why. No, they haven't. They haven't gone back out in the world, but their heart is as cold as the elder brother's heart. I'm here to tell you, they need to come back home to the Father tonight, today. Yes, sir. Our churches are full of people like that. Look at, the, look at me. You don't have to be out to be out. Amen. So this morning, I want to preach on this thought right here. I believe I'll go home. That's what he said in verse number 18. I will arise and go to my Father. You know, I pray that those who have, this service today has been designed for people who have gone away from God, gone back out in the world, they're living lives they never thought they would live, they're caught up in things that they shouldn't be caught up in, their life has become a mess. I tell you at the end of this service, my prayer is that you'll say like the prodigal, I believe, I'll go home and meet with the Father. Or maybe there's others sitting here in this service this morning. Or some of you watching online, bless God. I got you now. I didn't have you at 8 o'clock. But I, where's the cameras at? Pull them in my direction. It may break the lens, but pull them up here for just a second. Some of you uh, people have got so accustomed. And I realize people. some people have got health issues and they can't come for fear of getting the virus. I understand all that. But I'm talking about some of you lazy people that all you want to do now is sit at home and watch it on the computer, eat your Captain Crunch and wearing your pajamas and you've gotten away from God, I'm here to tell you, you can't be right with God and lay out of church, friend. Amen, preacher. I'm just trying to say this morning, I pray for you that you'll say this morning, I believe I'll go home and meet with the Father. Amen. That's what this story is all about. Now to remind you where we're at, we know the story. This boy come to his daddy with a, uh, with a hard request. He says to his father, Father, give me the inheritance. Give me my inheritance. And the only thing wrong with that request is we know that inheritance usually are given out after somebody dies. And so what the boy is in, in reality is saying is, Daddy, I've been waiting for you to die, but since you haven't died, I'd like for you to go ahead and give me my inheritance. This gracious, this, this grievous request was met with a very gracious reply because we read there in, simply in verse number 13. Verse 12, his father did it. He up and gave the boys their inheritance. By the way, can I stop and say this? If you look there at verse number 12, he gave unto them his living, the father's living. You see, these boys hadn't worked for that. Through the, through the frugalness of their dad, through the industriousness of their dad, through the wisdom of their dad, he had worked hard. He'd saved all this money. His boys hadn't worked for any of it. Let me say it like this. This boy's not an asset. He's a liability. This boy's not a producer. He is a consumer. But the dad graciously divides unto them his inheritance. Can I stop and say this? You know what's wrong with this boy? He wanted what the daddy had. He just didn't want his daddy 
You know, there's a lot of people living in our world today. They want what God has, but they don't want anything to do with God. Hey, they want to breathe God's air. They want to bask in God's sunlight. They want to drink God's water. They want to live on God's earth, but they don't want anything to do with the Father. Hey, I want to tell you, friend, my prayer is this morning that you'll come home, just rise up like the prodigal, and head back to the Father. Amen. Amen. Well, the Bible said here in this story, that this boy gets his inheritance, verse 13, and he heads off into the far country. Now, buddy, I want to tell you something. Our minds are not left to wonder what this boy got in when he got in that far country. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to look hard. You don't have to look long to find out the depths of depravity and the depths of debauchery that this boy got into with all that money. In fact, you know, somebody said that the, the greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Somebody said, what did he do in the far country? Look at verse 30. I'll tell you what he did. The Bible said there in verse number 30 that he devoured his living with harlots. Now, do you know what he did? He went down there. He threw caution through the wind. I mean, man, he shacked up with a bunch of harlots. He was having the time of his life. I mean, man, only one can imagine all the filth and the sin and the wickedness that this boy got in. But finally, as everybody does, they hit rock bottom. And he decides that he's going to go back home to the father's house. Can I say that's what many need to do in this service today? There are people sitting right here in this service. Watch this, and you're far off. There are people sitting right here in this service today, and you like this boy. Verse 13, you're foolish. There's many sitting in this service today, and just like verse 15, this boy was filthy. There's many sitting in this service today, and you're like this boy. Verse 16, he's friendless. In verse 16, he's famished. Let me just say this. If you're far off, if you've been foolish, if you've gotten filthy in this whole world, if you're friendless, if you're famished, thank God there's a father who's got the lights on. There's a God that's left the door open. There's a God that's saying, come on home. And what you need to say is this. I believe I'll go home and meet with the father. Boy, he got to thinking about home. He got to thinking about how things were back at the father's house. And he changed his mind. You know that father wasn't near as demanding as he led himself to believe. That word home was sounding better all the time. And this morning, here's my message. There are four things about home that I believe our text verifies that he missed. And what I want to do this morning is I just want to preach on them four things the prodigal missed that caused him to say, I believe I'll go home. Can I share them with you quickly? Number one, look at our text. I believe number one, he missed the kitchen. He missed the kitchen. If you look at verse 17, the Bible said that he got to thinking about his daddy's house and the kitchen and the food that was there. And he said, my father's servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger. You know, I think you got to think about all them, them good meals that he was used to around the house. I think you got to thinking about the smells that was coming out of the kitchen. I think you got to thinking about sitting down at them big family meals and, and the fellowship and the food that was going on. The taste of that sweet, fresh baked bread, steaming hot bread with honey butter all over it. I mean, in his mind, he could just smell the kitchen of the father's house. And the one thing he had found out about the far country is this. 
this. You don't eat too well when you're down in the far country. In fact, what you do eat down there, number one, tastes awful, and it never satisfies uh, the longing of a hungry stomach. No, sir, it may have been very appealing to start with. It may have been very attractive. It may have been very appetizing to start with, but I want to tell you something. Anything you find outside of the will of God for your life, it's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you dry, and it's going to leave you with a bitter taste in your mouth. I just want to tell you only what God has can satisfy the hunger and the thirst of a longing soul. Oh, come and taste the Lord and see that he's good, the Bible said. Yes, sir, let me show you a verse. This goes along with this story. Look at this verse right here. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man. Now, stop. Initially, it's sweet. You know, the devil never goes fishing with unattractive bait. You do understand that, don't you? I mean, he realizes if he's going to catch people, he's got to put something that's sweet, something that's very appealing, something that's very attracting on the hook. And so the Bible said bread of deceit is sweet to a man, at least initially. He begins to partake of that, and it tastes good. You know, the Bible does say there's pleasures in sin for a season. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to tell you there's no fun in sin, but I want to tell you, just like the sparkle off a diamond, that, that sin, uh, that sin is... that. that that's got you there that's so fun at least initially it's going to become a bondage to you and it's going to lead you down a wrong road and it's going to wind up destroying your life bread to a man uh, bread of deceit is sweet to a man but now let's read the rest of it. it says this but afterwards oh don't you know sin always has an afterwards sin always has consequences to it there's always an afterward to sin and the Bible said what was so sweet to start with afterward is mouth it's filled with gravel. I'll tell you something, friend. What makes me sweet to begin with, buddy, after you chew on it just a little while, it's going to wind up being just a mouthful of rocks. There's nothing out here in the garbage cans of this whole world that you're going to find that's going to satisfy you. Let me tell you what's outside the four walls of the will of God. It's nauseating. It reeks. It'll never satisfy or never fill you. Buddy, I'm glad we've got a church here, Woodland Baptist Church, that offers up three complete meals every week. We have three, three course meals around here every week. The one thing I do every week is I beg and I plead with God for God to have something for us when we walk into this place that there'll be some food set here on the table whereby some lost soul that's left the Father's house and got out here in the world and been eating out the garbage cans of this world and they're not satisfied. I pray, oh God, when we gather together, set the table for us, Lord. We had enough of the husk of the world. God, give us something on the table that'll give us something to eat that'll satisfy our soul, friend. Yes, sir, I'm one-dimensional. I think you get this by now. I've been here going on. Uh, this is my 25th year, and I'm very one-dimensional. And what I mean by that is this. You know, in our day, I'm just a simple-minded little Baptist preacher. That's all God called me to be. I make no apologies for that. The only problem is we're living in a world today where people shop churches like they shop uh, grocery stores. You've got to have all kind of departments in your church. You've got to minister to the needs of this particular group. And if you don't, they'll just move on down the road uh, for some other, to some other place where they find what they're looking for or maybe they find the church that has the most to offer. But I want to tell you something about this preacher that you're listening to this morning. He's one-dimensional. 
Now hear me and hear me well. People come and they say, okay, we got a question for you. What do you have at Woodland for the children? Or what do you have at Woodland for the nursery age? Or what do you have uh, for the preteens? Or a preacher, tell me, what do y'all have for the teens? Hey, preacher, what do y'all have for the family? What kind of what outreach do you have for the family? Or preacher, what can you do for the senior citizens? Ladies and gentlemen, I can answer all that in one word. And that word is preaching. I'll tell you what we offer the children. We offer a red hot pulpit where a man of God mounts the pulpit and stands up and preaches the word of God. We offer the preteens old fashioned preaching. We offer the teenagers old fashioned preaching. Hey, we offer the family old fashioned preaching. We offer the senior citizens old fashioned preaching because I'm here to tell you it still pleases God through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. Hey, I'll tell you something, friend. If you're looking for this and you're looking for that, if you're looking for trinkets, if you're looking for sparkling jewels, you may not find it here. But if you like old time, old fashioned, Holy Ghost filled preaching, preaching that speaks not to the head, hopefully, but preaching that'll get a hold of your heart, you found what you're looking for because we offer preaching around here. Simple minded. My prayer is every week when I get into my office, I get the recipe book out and I try to prepare a meal. And before that meal's ever set on the table, I try to get along with God and I try to pray, oh God, use this meal to help somebody struggling in life. I pray that when we drive up in the parking lot and we get out of the car, Oh, man, it's the, it's the smell of fresh bread. It's the smell of heavenly manna that's permeating this place. And we know one thing. When we walk in here, we're going to get some good music. We're going to get some good singing. And it may not be a good message, but I'll tell you what it's going to be. It's going to be a message from the Bible that I pray God will use to speak to our hearts. I, I want to tell you, that's what our world needs today. It needs a church that's got a kitchen in it, friend. And I'm not talking about, bless God, that one out there. I'm talking about this and right here who try to set the table to feed hungry souls. Oh yeah, he missed the kitchen. I don't understand why anybody would want to leave a church with a kitchen and go out here and eat out of the garbage cans of this world. Furthermore, I don't understand why somebody would want to leave a church with the kitchen and go to some other church with some half-baked kitchen. I don't get it. I know it's different days. I know people are shopping around. I get all that. But, buddy, I just want to tell you, thank God for an old-fashioned kitchen in the pulpit where the preacher will stand up, cook a recipe, and say, here it is. Do with it what you want to. My wife's grandma, when we used to go to her house every Sunday, and I mean she had 25 or 30 things sitting on the table, and she'd prepare it all before she'd leave to go to church. She'd spread a tablecloth over it all. And then when it come time to eat, she'd pull the tablecloth off. And then she would look at everybody standing there and she'd say this. Now you see what's before you. And ladies and gentlemen, when you come to Woodland, I want to spread the table. I want to pull the tablecloth off. And then I just want to say, you see what's here? If you don't like it, you don't have to eat it. Matter of fact, if you don't like what we're serving, you don't ever have to come back. But if you leave and go away and come back six months from now, I'm still going to pull the tablecloth off. So you see what's before you. And if you want it, you can have it, friend. Amen. Amen and amen. I'm glad the kitchen's open. 
In fact, can I tell you this? John 4, 32, Jesus said this, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Hey, I'll tell you something, friend. It may not be physical food, but we try to set the spiritual table where those old lost prodigals out here been feasting out of the garbage cans of this world on that nauseating food that the devil has to offer up that's sweet to start with but turns the gravel. I'm glad we got a church that's still offering up a good meal. Amen. He missed the kitchen. Number two, he missed the kinfolk. Yes, sir. He'd been off in that far country. He didn't find anything out there like what he had at the Father's house. You know, there's just something special about family. There's no better place on this earth to be than with your family. Listen, my wife and my children and my little grandbabies and them dogs and them chickens is home to me. I have on occasion, I get to go off and preach some and I stay in motels or sometimes I've stayed in homes, people's homes or houses. And I appreciate all the generosity and all the kindness that I'm shown while I'm there. But bless your heart, it ain't home. It ain't home. <laughs> but you let me get started back in this direction. You let me get in downtown Pilot Mountain, hang a left at the light at the CVS. Go to the second road on the right, Dodson Mill Road. Stay on that road till it crosses back over Highway 52 and turns into a dirt road. And you let me find the first driveway on the right. Let me pull in there and raise the garage door and walk in. Guess what? I'm home. I'm home. I thank God for my family. That's my crowd. I love that crowd. That's my kinfolk. We're not perfect. We're crazy. Every last one of us are. But I tell you what we are. We're family. This old boy got to missing his kinfolk, his mama and his daddy. Maybe he started missing his older brother. Maybe he started missing some of those servants around the house. But he didn't find out there what he found in here. In fact, let me show you what he found. Look at verse 16. I have these two words highlighted in my Bible. And it says this in that last phrase there. It says, and no man. You may tell you what he found in the far country. He found no man. No man that cared. No man that loved. No man that had compassion. He was on his own in the far country. But back at home, he had a daddy. He had a mama. He had a family that cared for him. So I think he said, I believe I'll go home and just meet with the father. And when he started home, guess what? He, he, he swapped the harlots for home. He swapped the foreigners for family. He swapped the no man for the one man that loved him more than life itself. He found it at the Father's house. And by the way, I like this. Look at verse 18. You know, he's practicing now. You ever done that before? Maybe getting a little bit of trouble and you're on your way home. Maybe late. Maybe some of you men are late. You stayed too long at the auto zone and, and uh, you're checking out all the oil and the filters and everything. You walk in and you're late. And your wife says, where have you been? But you know, before you get there, she's going to ask you. So you start rehearsing what you're going to say. You ever been in that predicament before? I've been late before trying to get home. Uh, my mom and daddy's house when I was growing up, maybe get home late, and I was already practicing what I was going to say before I got there. I had it all rehearsed, what I was going to say. Well, he does the same. Verse 18, he said, I'll arise and go to my father, and I'm going to say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Here's what he said when he got home, Daddy. 
I'm, I'm embarrassed. Daddy, I can no longer be a son. Daddy, I'll just be a servant. Daddy, thank you for, thank you for not just cutting me off. But I want you to understand this. I think what he was saying is this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But you're still worthy to be called my father. Can I ask you something? What has God done to you to make you walk off? What has God done to you? Hey, 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 hey. Point them cameras right. Who, whose camera am I on right now? Which one is pointing at me? This one? Hey, what's God done to you make you quit church? Where are you at? Wasn't the cat hairs? Am I on are the red lights over here now? Hey, what's, what's wrong? What's God done to you? Hey, hey, he's still worthy to be called Father. I'm no more worthy to be called Son. What's God done to you to make you run out on him? The kinfolk. Kitchen, kinfolk. Number three, you missed this. He missed the kindness. The kindness of the Father's house. He didn't find any kindness in the far country. I'm sure about the only kind word he ever heard in the far country was the one he paid for. Probably all he ever heard. My daddy used to tell me when I was growing up, he said, son, as long as you've got a dollar in your pocket, you'll have a friend in this world. But when the dollar's gone, son, you won't have no friends in this world. Not one. And this old boy has went off into that far country, and there's no kindness. When he was living in sin, there was no kindness. When he went broke, there was no kindness. When he was starving, there was no kindness. When he was lonely, there was no kindness. When he was ashamed, there was no kindness. When he was guilt, filled with guilt, there was no kindness. When he cried himself to sleep at night, there was no, no kindness. But he knew where he could find some. Back at the father's house. No doubt he saw his daddy treat servants that had gone off before. Maybe, maybe he'd seen his daddy handling a situation of a servant who ran away and was caught and brought back. And maybe he saw his daddy act in kindness and compassion and in mercy toward him. Or maybe, maybe a servant like Onesimus had stolen something from his daddy and run off. He was caught and brought back. And he'd watched his daddy time and time again deal in compassion, deal in kindness and mercy and forgiveness. Maybe the reason he said, I'll rise and go to the Father. Maybe the reason he said, I need some kindness. But here's my favorite one, and we're done. Maybe it was the kitchen or the kinfolk or the kindness, or maybe it was the kisses. You see, the Bible said, if you look in our text, there are three steps that he made in going home. Watch this. First of all, look at verse 17. He awoke. Look at verse 17. When he came to himself. Can I just stop and say that's one place the devil will never want you to come is to yourself. As long as he can get you to think and keep you thinking that you're living the life outside of the will of God. You're living the best that life has to offer. Listen, you ain't never going to wake up. But I tell you, bless your heart, when you come to yourself, Amen. he awoke. Number two, he arose. Look again at verse 18. I will arise. So he awoke. Say it with me. He awoke. He, he arose, right? He arised, if you're from the country. Right, Miss Shuri? He arised. He arose. But then he arrived. Look again in this text, if you will, in verse number 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, 
his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now watch this. This is good. Uh, well, I don't know if it'll be good. I'm going to preach it anyway. So he started home. I can see the devil jump right here on his shoulder and give him the top ten reasons why he shouldn't go home. You're too filthy. You've messed up too bad. You've gone too far. Your daddy's done with you. He don't love you anymore after what you've done. And I can just say, you smell bad. I mean, all the way down through there. He's top ten reasons. He's whispering in his ear why he shouldn't go home. And I can just see him. Maybe he's almost there and his heart's beating out of his chest and he thinks about turning around. The devil said, you ought to just turn around. Just forget the whole thing. Go back to the far country. But about that time, on the front porch, there was a father. I was looking for him. He was scanning that horizon. And he saw him and he thought, could it be? And as he grew closer, he picked up. That was his boy. And the Bible said that he ran. Now, it's undignified for a man of means in Jewish society to run. It's, a, it's against the custom, customs and the manner of that lamb. Uh, man of means in the Jewish society don't run. But this guy took off running. Why did he take off running? I think there's an Old Testament answer to that. You see, in the Old Testament, when a prodigal went away and broke his mama and his daddy's heart, when he came back, he was stoned to death. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, verse 21, the Bible said, in the, speaking of the prodigal, the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. Maybe as he's on his way home, and he's coming through town, and he's walking toward the father's house. The father sees him, but he's intercepted by the elders of the city. And the elders of the city, man, they're going to enact the law upon him. So they pick up their rocks, and man, they're getting ready to stone this boy to death. And that, that father, sitting, he pulls that robe up. He rolls that robe up so he can run. He ain't going to let that boy get stoned to death. He's glad to have him back. And he takes off running down through there, and when he gets to where he is, he... He falls on him, just falls across him as if to say, I'll take his stoning. I'll take his punishment. I'll bear his shame, his guilt, his humiliation. Let the stones be upon me, not upon him. And he kissed him. And, he, and the tense of the verb, not just once, but he kept on kissing him. And the more, the more the father kissed him, the more he forgot about the kisses of the harlots in the far country. I mean, he had lipstick on his lapel. He had gardenia, moonlight, midnight pasture sprayed all over him. But the more his daddy kissed on him, the, the farther and farther away the kisses of the harlots were. Maybe he missed the kisses. Boy, aren't you glad this morning that there's a God in heaven? I don't know who I might be speaking to in this service today, but aren't you glad there's a God in heaven this morning? He's standing on the porch. You've messed up. You got dirty. You got soiled. You got the devil's lipstick on your collar. You smell like a gardenia blossom that's gone bad. I mean, you've been out in the world. But I'm so glad I can tell you there's a father who say, come on, I love you. The lights are on. 
The door is open. I want you back. I love you. Now I'm done. I didn't get to preach this in the early service, but I'm going to close with it now. Because there's another person mentioned in this story, and that's that elder brother. And he represents, as I said a moment ago, those who have never left. They're still there, but they don't appreciate what they've got at the Father's house. Oh, he was there the whole time, but he didn't appreciate the kitchen. That's why a lot of folks run off and leave the church. They don't appreciate the kitchen. They go hunting them a new kitchen where it's toned down a little bit. It's not as loud. It's not as rough sometimes. It's not as hard. And they go hunting them another kitchen because they don't appreciate the kitchen that they've got. Amen and amen. And then there's those elder brothers don't appreciate the kinfolk. Yeah, they don't appreciate what they got. The Bible said this old boy wouldn't go in. He didn't want to be a part of that. He didn't appreciate the kindness he chose to stay outside. He didn't appreciate the kisses. I'm sure the same kisses that were on the prodigal would have been on him. But no, he's going to go find him somewhere else to go. He's going to find him some other father's house. You know something? Our church has been a church of great longevity through the years. And I get it, man. Pandemic, I get all that mess. All this has happened. And I wished, and if you had a better plan than I did, I sure wish you wouldn't have sat on it. I wish you to come to me. I really do. But I did the best I could to navigate this church through this process. And I want to tell you something. It wasn't good at all. But I'd never faced a pandemic before. And so many people, many people have chose during this time to go hunt them another kitchen. But I just want to say, as long as I'm here, the kitchen's going to stay hot. And that's what we got to offer around here is an old-fashioned hot kitchen. And if you're looking for something else, hey, I'll recommend you a good place to go to. But if you like it hot, I'd stay around here a little longer. Let us get through some of this mess. We're going to come out on the winning side. But if you want to leave, you go ahead and leave. But if you ever come back, I trust. I trust. Whether I'm here or whether I'm not, I trust this old kitchen right here. Still going to be on brawl. Amen and amen. Because that's what we got to offer you here at Woodland. Amen. Let's pray. Do it. Here's what I think somebody ought to say this morning. Listen now. I believe I'll go home and eat with the Father. What about you this morning? The table is free. The table is spread. Amen. And they're waiting for Hey, the kid folks waiting on you. Amen. Kindness. I can see the Father. The kisses. Coming out. Hey, the kitchen is still pumping out food. It's still hot. Amen. Hey, the kitchen hadn't cooled off. Just a servant for. Sing it again, Brother Brian. Hey, won't you say it? Come on this morning. God's looking for you.